Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sports book app. And on today's podcast, we'll be joined by Dr. Neil Elitrosh, the man who did the surgeries this year on Nick Bosa, Saquon Barkley, Joe Burrow, and he will talk about their prospects for a return in 2021. Then we'll have ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, break down the upcoming matchups this weekend between the Kansas City Chiefs and the New Orleans Saints and the Seattle Seahawks and Washington football team, which could be potential matchups that we might see this postseason. And then we'll be joined by the senior NBA analyst for Established the Run NBA, Mike Gallagher, as the NBA season prepares to tip off NBA fantasy drafts also are being conducted over the next week. And if you play fantasy football and don't play fantasy basketball, let me say to you, play fantasy basketball. It has become my hobby, my vice, my outlet, what my friends refer to as my cigarette break. Take a five-minute break, look over my NBA lineups, get everything set for the coming night, and then get back to work again. There are a few things in life that I enjoy more than NBA fantasy basketball, and Mike Gallagher will be along to break down the upcoming prospects for fantasy basketball drafts, if that interests you. But first, a word about football. Congratulations to the Green Bay Packers for winning a second straight NFC North title. Very impressive for them to do that. And congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs on a fifth straight AFC West title. That is remarkable. And not only is it crazy to think that the Chiefs have won five straight AFC West titles, but they may have the chance to win five more, 10 more. As long as Patrick Mahomes is playing quarterback, they're going to have the chance to win a lot of AFC West titles. That's bad news for the Denver Broncos, Las Vegas Raiders, Los Angeles Chargers. They have some major catching up to do for the next decade. And it reminds me of covering John Elway back in the day for the Denver Broncos, as I did for the Denver newspapers, the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post from 1990 through 2004. And I always heard those other teams in the division complain about having to play John Elway. And it's exactly what those other teams are now having to do against Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs start out with a lead for the division every year. You know they're going to be competitive. You know they're going to be relevant because they have the quarterback. And they may not make it every year, but they're going to be right there. And they're going to have a chance every year. So good luck to the rest of the AFC West. And also, congratulations to the NFL. We are now 207 208 after the Ravens-Browns game is played Monday night. Games into the 2020 season. There hasn't been one cancellation. Not one. And that is remarkable at a time where COVID cases across the country are spiking and schools are closing and restaurants are closing and people are being issued stay-at-home quarantine orders. And the league just keeps going on. And it's not going to stop for anybody or anything. And for those who don't think that the league is going to get in a full season now, well, hello, of course they are. That's what the league has been determined to do. And that's what the league has done this season. And I will say personally with ESPN, they make us take a weekly COVID test before we can go into the Monday night studio for Monday night countdown. And so every Tuesday morning after that Monday night at the studio, 
I've got to do a home test for COVID with a nurse practitioner on the line. We zoom in. She basically makes sure that the swab is going up one nostril for 30 seconds, then up the other nostril for 30 seconds. You have to stick it up far enough so that you're tearing up. Do this every single week. And so I've got three more COVID tests this season. That's how I'm counting down the season. How many more nasal swabs I got to stick up my nose and how many more times I got to do this? Three more COVID tests till the end of Monday Night Football, till everything I would assume is done at home until we can go back to the studio, whenever that is. But I am now basically measuring this season by sticks up the nose. That's what this has come down to. And that really is the truth. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone to stay up to date on all sports news every day with ESPN Daily. Monday through Friday, host Pablo Torre brings you an inside look at the most interesting stories at ESPN as told by the top reporters and insiders on the planet. The breaking news of SportsCenter, the deep dive storytelling of 30 for 30. Get the very best of ESPN daily. Go download and subscribe to ESPN Daily, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now for our first guest, the man who performed the surgeries this season on Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Saquon Barkley, and most recently, Joe Burrow, the surgeon to the star athletes, Dr. Neil Elitrosh. Is this the great Adam Schefter? Is this the great Dr. Elitrosh? <laughs> Thank you for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Adam. How do you find the time to fit me looking in? Looking forward to talking to you at some point. You, you know, you, you, I, I, I think I, I get more medical information watching your updates and programs over the last few years. So, you know, I, I don't know if you ever had any sort of uh, training in this stuff, but uh, your your information, the way you describe things and, and everything is, has been remarkably accurate. Really, really good. That's very kind of you. Well, I appreciate you paying attention, Dr. Latrush. I'm surprised <laughs> that I haven't butchered anything medically because I have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. Well, you're luckily, I mean, luckily that's the case. You're talking a lot about my, about a lot of my patients. So I wait and see what, you, what, what's going to come out because oftentimes, you know, the stuff before I do, <laughs> but it's all been great. It's all been very accurate. So Dr. Elitrash, here's my question for you. How do you get to be in the position that you are as this foremost orthopedic surgeon, as somebody that athletes, world-class athletes turn to when they need surgery? How do you become Dr. Elitrush? Um, Well, the, probably the biggest 
false statement that could be made would be to say that that I'm at all self-made. Um, I think that the, it probably goes with any big endeavor, any any profession. You know, the, the, what what you hope for is that some people that are that are real leaders um, take an interest in you for for whatever reason, and um, and that certainly was the case with me. After I went to medical school and did my residency back in at the University of Pittsburgh, I I was always planning on working and practicing back there. I I, I thought I envisioned me being back there, maybe at the university and working with my friend that takes care of the Steelers and 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 doing that. And and so I wanted to do a sports medicine. I just fell in love with uh, orthopedic surgery and sports medicine. You know, after medical school and and um, so I I came out to L.A. where where Frank Job was was really um, was really pioneering a lot of the things that we were doing in the shoulder and elbow in, in throwing athletes and uh, guys like Clarence Shields and Steve Lombardo, who are also in the Curl and Job group, uh, were doing a lot. And uh, Jim Taboni were doing a lot of um, knee surgery in, in on Lakers and Rams. And so it was a great place to come and spend a year to do a fellowship. And and um, a few months into my fellowship, Dr. Curlin, um, who was one of the one of the fathers of sports medicine in, in this country, along with uh, Frank Job, um, asked me to consider staying and and not going back to Pittsburgh. And and I think that I was in the right place at the right time, um, where where Dr. Job really wanted to have somebody um, work with him and, and help take care of the Dodgers. And the same thing for Dr. Curlin, Dr. Shields with the Rams. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not a jack of all trades. I, I um, was fortunate enough, and I thank God every day that I, I found maybe the one thing in my life that I'm any good at. And, and, and I, I just was in love with it. I, was, it was, I felt like it was my purpose, and, and I worked hard. And, and so they wanted me to to stay and and because of them basically they put me in a position probably a little younger than I deserved early on but but uh in a position where I could succeed and 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 people could notice what we were doing and some of the new things that we were doing also so my message is that that um you don't you don't really get to the to the front of the line by by taking a shortcut and cutting in line you you need to have people that for whatever reason they they really uh, hitch hitch you to them and and uh, look after you and and mentor you and teach you and and if you're lucky enough to enough in life to find a couple of those people, mm-hmm. then you're blessed. When you look back at your illustrious career, Doctor Elatrush, when did you know that it was taking hold, that it was working, that you were getting this recognition and you were making a difference? I, I think that um, we were doing a lot of research based on clinical need. So um, we were we were attempting new procedures in the laboratory to solve problems that we were having in the in the operating room, or or challenges that we needed to to overcome to be able to fix certain things. And and so it was a combination of taking what what we had drawn up on the drawing board, envisioned, testing it in the lab, and then translating that, that uh, if it proved out to, to be working well in the laboratory, then to take it to our practice. And, and it's step by step. It's very difficult and uh, to, to make huge changes uh, all at once, just because, you know, you, you've got people that, that have put their bodies in your hands. And, and so you, you need to be very prudent whenever you're you're breaking new ground and, and changing things. And so 
you know, it's step by step, but certainly what, where I realized that we were onto something is, is that, you know, we would, we were being successful in taking uh, those kinds of uh, advancements from the laboratory into our clinical practice and surgical practice and making a difference. And, and, um, and so, um, you, you know, once again, going back to the other I- issue about having, you know, people that are luminaries that look after you, you know, you, you can do that. Um, and you have a lot more leeway to do that whenever you're inv- whenever they're involved with you and, and they sort of condone what you're doing. The first thing was to be accepted among my peers for, for being successful in some of the new things we were doing. And then after that, things just fell into place because of the good results we were getting with these guys. You mentioned people putting their bodies in your hands. Is that a pressure that an orthopedic surgeon feels on a regular basis? I guess, uh, you know, maybe some would describe it as pressure. I, I, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to come off sort of the wrong way, melodramatic or anything like that. But, but for, for me, it's, it's, it's almost a, it's a sort of a sacred trust. And, and uh, so rather than pressure, I just think it's, it's such an amazing honor and, and privilege to have somebody to have that kind of intimacy with another person. And that's one of the beautiful things about what I do is, is that, you know, I'm, I achieve a level of intimacy with other human beings that are probably on a greater scale than pretty much any vocation in the world. You know, I, I, I think that when somebody trusts you to take care of, of them or their son or their daughter, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And, uh, Hmm. and for those surgeons out there, if, if you can't remember the first time somebody ever said, okay, I want you to operate on me and take care of me. Uh, if you can't remember that moment, then you've really missed something great because I certainly remember the first person. And, and so rather than pressure, I, I, I never, I don't do things where I don't, I don't feel like I'm competent or expert at it. And so I, I know that there's going to be some things that maybe are unexpected or, but, but I, I've envisioned all the eventualities that could possibly happen and take place. And I have in my mind a, a solution for those things. If, if, you know, depending on what I see or encounter in the, in the operating room, there's a lot of gravity to that kind of uh, privilege and intimacy to, in taking care of somebody. Do you keep a relationship with these patients? Like when you operate on Tom Brady and his knee or Ben Roethlisberger and his elbow, or Nick Bosa and his knee, or Joe Burrow and his knee, or Saquon Barkley and his knee, as you've done. Are you in daily contact with these guys? Are you tracking them to see how they're doing? How does that work? Yeah, it's it, it's um, because of the logistics involved. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit compulsive whenever it comes to to those things, especially in, in the few months post-op. So so we're pretty heavily involved with uh, with them if not daily, it, it, we're talking to therapists, we're talking to people that are seeing them daily. And, and, um, you know, it, it would be very difficult to sleep at night if, if I thought that there was several people out there that I it really didn't have my arms around what, you know, where they were in, in, in their recovery or, or what stage they were after their surgery. So yes, we, it's, it's a close contact. And so, you know, naturally there's, there's a relationship that builds out of that. I think that you know you don't you don't develop um, a, a you know best friend friendship with with every single person you take care of by any means, but there's there is a special relationship and and it's and uh, the familiarity and um, honesty and trust and and those types of things you know those last, and so um, I enjoy seeing 
the guys that I've taken care of, and I don't care w- what team they play for or whatever. I, I enjoy enjoy seeing them do well, and I enjoy seeing them getting back to the, what they what they love to do and what they're paid to do, and and to you know this is their livelihood or career or their education. Oftentimes for college kids who who really are those that 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 type of patient, the high school and college kids, those are extremely rewar- rewarding because some of these injuries can be life changing and. So some of the treatment is life changing, and so the, there's always going to be that connection um, between me and them, um, you know, going forward, just because of the time in their life and the time in my life that we cross paths. I know there are many, I'm sure, but are there one or two of those surgeries that stand out to you that when you see that particular performer on television conduct his craft, do his thing, that it carries a certain amount of pride it fills you with a certain amount of pride is there are there one or two surgeries like that that stand out to you dr elatrush yeah and i think that maybe it's because of the relationship that developed um uh, as much as the the surgery you know but there there was um there's a few um certainly have a close personal relationship with 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 tom brady and i i love seeing what he's doing at 43 years old and i hope he keeps going uh, you know kobe was kobe was another one that that um i saw what he went through and very few people knew what he went through physically to be able to keep playing and playing at the level that he was and uh the the operations and the surgeries that that you know we went through together there's a there's a a kid that unfortunately is no longer with us that that you know will I'll remember to the to the day I die I die it's Jose Fernandez the the great young oh, pitcher yeah. that came from Cuba and um did his Tommy John and and um his personal story was amazing you know he had tried to escape three times from from Cuba and and uh, at 15 years old had been thrown in prison and they finally uh they finally were able to make it and and uh, he ended up having to save his mother who had fallen overboard during a storm, you know, on their way out of Cuba. And, and uh, so there, there was he and his mother that, that were extremely close and, and, and uh, getting to know them and taking care of Jose was, was great. And, and, and a father's day and a Thanksgiving and a Christmas never went by after his surgery that he didn't, I didn't get a message from him. And, and, um, so, it, you know, some of those things stand out in my mind. Um, certainly, I recently I love seeing what Ben Roethlisberger is doing, and uh, you know, I, I love w- watching Aaron Rodgers. And th- these guys are, you know, once in a generation types of quarterbacks. And so, I, you know, I, I have a lot of fun seeing them back and back in action. Are you allowed to say what you expect to see out of guys like Nick Bosa? And Joe Burrow and Saquon Barkley, who you've operated on this year. Um, well, you know, I it, it's it's early, and 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 no one no one in in my field spikes the ball at this point, you know, afterwards. But uh, you know, what what we look for are are they achieving the the milestones and uh, and and the points that they need to to meet early on, and and um, they're, I think that they're just doing fantastic. These guys this year have, have for for whatever reason, the, the injuries this year have been have been complex. Um, there's been very few just regular normal ACL tears. It's always combined with something else. 
this year. And, and um, just like you know, 2020 has been an odd year to begin with, but, but this has, has been sort of the way it's been. And, and I've spoken to my colleagues around the, around the country that are taking care of teams and athletes and, and uh, they're saying the same thing. So, you know, but, but these guys are doing exceedingly well right now. Um, and, but there it's, it's early on. I, I expect that the guys that we've taken care of with, with uh, the knee injuries at this point in the year still would be on track for the beginning of the season next year. Um, and uh, just uh, we'll see how it goes with regard to their rehab and return to play. And that last big step that, that they make on their own, that's the return to performance that they need to be able to compete at that level, you know, so, and that'll take place, you know, towards the end of the summer. All of them are on track, Doctor Elatrash. Even a guy like Joe Burrow, who got hurt late in the season. Yeah, you know, they, he's he's only what is he now? Maybe a, a week out uh, from surgery. So you know, it, when when you say he's on track, you know, the, yeah. that's uh, there's just a few criteria you look for. But you know, uh, what I can say is that that there everything that's come our way this year so far, even though they've been very complex. Um, I'm, I'm extremely happy with what we've been able to do and to, and the, we've, we've fixed it in a way that I, I'm confident that they'll be able to play again. Hmm. There's some things that's quite frankly still comes into the office that some certain types of t- tissue damage that you just can't, you just can't hope to make it normal again. But, but we've been, I think we've been very fortunate surgically with all these guys this year that, that, uh, we've been able to accomplish everything we would hope. And so that's the first big thing, you know, you're, are you coming out of the operating room doing what you had hoped you'd be able to do and, and not seeing a surprising uh, amount of damage in something that you can't fix. And so that th- we've been, we've been fortunate with that. So I'm very optimistic with the guys that we've taken care of to date. You bring up the complexities of 2020. And I'm just curious to know your thoughts on this, because in talking to various people across the NFL, they have said to me at various points that they believe there could be a correlation between COVID and some of these ligament tears and muscle pulls. In your estimation, with all your experience, Dr. Elatrash, do you think there's any connection between COVID and some of the injuries that we've seen in 2020? I think for sure in baseball. Um, and it's not because of that the virus has caused some abnormality in the tissues. Um, I, it's because what the virus has done to us socially and logistically and, and uh, you know, I think that the same thing happened in in uh, football as well. It it completely changed the routine of these guys. And um, in in baseball, the what the what the typical fan doesn't realize is that these guys start getting ready for spring training in December, and then they go through spring training, which is a gradual ramp up uh, to where you're full, you know, flat out competing in at the beginning of April. And these guys got ready for spring training, entered spring training, then everything got shut down in late February, early March. And um, then it, there were, they, so they were off and, and they couldn't come into the facilities. They were spread out. Um, and so the, the level of, of training and preparation obviously is going to vary if you can't be with, with your, your usual trainers and, and coaches. And so, and then there was a, a very quick ramp up again in, in July. So they ramped up for spring training, never completed spring training, shut it down, variable amounts of training in the meantime, and then July hits and they're, they get, they're given a three-week notice, basically. 
let's go. And so, so we saw, we, we anticipated we were going to see some, some bad, bad stuff in, in, in August, late July, August. And, and there was a, a, just a explosion of injuries to these pitchers. The same thing sort of happened in football, but not to, not to that extent. The typical time of the year for guys to get season-ending injuries in in football is in August and early September. End of training camp, everybody's really intense. They're 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 maxed out as what they're with what they're doing on the field. And there's a lot of guys. There's more guys than than the normal roster um, in August. And and so you have uh, your your peak injuries to ACL injuries, things like that happen in August and early September. When because of the way that the season happened in preseason, it just got pushed back on the calendar. And so we saw that that explosion of injuries then in September and October, you know, with a few trickling here and there after that. But but what that does is if you look at the the typical you know, ACL reconstruction will take nine months or so at least where people feel it's safe to go back and, and play. And even then, it's not you're not completely back to top performance. But nine months, if you move that back on the calendar, you start to get stuck, you know, with regard to timing to get them ready for next year. And so you add into that a higher complexity of injuries that was happening, not just the, the typical ACL. And obviously, those types of things are going to take a little bit more time. You know, if if you have other things involved, you're going to end up on crutches a little longer. So right. you're going to get deconditioned a little bit more. So, so that's what's happened to us this year. And um, it's the routines are off, the schedules are off, and so but the injuries are just as bad. And so it's it's made it difficult for these guys, you know, uh, with regard to their contracts and the upcoming season. Well, I remember one coach saying to me that they were monitoring guys that had COVID, their players, because they felt that they were more susceptible to muscle strains, ligament tears. And again, I just thought it was interesting. I don't know whether it was true or not, but I heard it a few different times during the course of the season from various people that it could be. Yeah, I think what we're going to have to do, Adam, is go back and look and see um, did did the guy was there a higher instance of injuries in guys that ended up testing positive for the virus? Um, I think that there's probably a lot of what they call seronegative uh, infections out there where where they may be negative on, on some of the testing and certainly negative on the antibody tests, but were exposed to the virus. And so maybe there was some low-level inflammation that was happening in, in their body. But these are all very theoretical. And, and um, I, you know, I think it's going to, we're going to only prove that in, in, yeah. in retrospect when we go back and look at these things. But um you know, there's there certainly has been it's been the injuries have been interesting this this year. What about the idea of being a surgeon in the time of a pandemic, Doctor Elatrash? What is that like? Well, you know, there, there's there's there were some issues with regard to um, early on in the pandemic. Was you know was it ethical to be doing what people would consider uh, necessary and time sensitive, but still elective surgery? So. You weren't risking life and limb if you didn't operate on the person at that point, but maybe you, you know you you were risking you know, some issue with regard to their their livelihood or their education, or possibly the result maybe would be a little bit more in question if if you delayed the surgery. So when you had a guy like Chris Sale that was going to get a Tommy John operation at the end of March, early April, um, and they were going through the you know 
big, huge spikes in the pandemic in, in on the East Coast. But yet here in, in on the West Coast, we, our hospitals weren't under stress. And, and, and so from a personnel standpoint and equipment standpoint, we were still able to take care of people. Um, you know, we did things um, on on people that were we considered to be time sensitive issues, and and uh, I thought we were very responsible in the way we way we did it, and and that's really all you can ask from from doctors is that they look and see what the people in their region uh, need, and um, are you able to still give them the resources that they need to make it through an uncertain pandemic and still take care of the the people that are non-COVID related problems that, that you're faced with. While I'm on the phone, Dr. Electrosh, I should say, I got a text from a Rams official and I said, hey, let me call you after I'm on with Dr. Electrosh. And his response to me was, and I read, he's the best. Ask him about Reggie Scott. That's what he said, who's the Rams trainer who we've had on here. So I guess I'm going to ask you about Reggie Scott here before I let you go and 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 what you think of him as the Rams trainer here. All right, first of all, was Reggie Scott the one that pho- that phoned in? Was he <laughs> no, the he was one? not. <laughs> nope, <laughs> nope. Reggie Scott is, uh, you know, as a, as a team physician, you know, you hope that you have a um, – and saying just that he's a head athletic trainer probably doesn't do it justice. Hmm. This guy is, is um, the most fantastic trainer that anybody could ever work with everything from his ability to relate to the, to the guys. And I don't care who they are. um, He is, he's intelligent. He's a, a real student of his craft. And, and that's what I love, you know, because that's what I am. I, I, I want to learn something uh, new every day. And, and he's a true student of, of his craft. Um, I, I just can't, there would be no way that uh, we could take care of that team um, the way that they deserve to be taken care of without Reggie Scott, hands down, um, could, couldn't, couldn't be better. And for those who don't know, you work with the Dodgers, you work with the Rams, you work with the Lakers, you work with all the LA teams, right? I have an amazing. I, I we have an amazing staff with the, with the Dodgers too, and 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 you know the proof's in the pudding when we we look at and see where we are at the end of the season. Are you know, or is that staff able to give the those coaches the, the team that they drew up at the beginning of the year and and. And they work their tail off to, to do that. And um, they're committed to these guys, both with the Rams and the Dodgers. I, I'm just, I, I'm really blessed to have the medical staffs that we have. Before I let you go, what is left in your story career? What would you still like to do? What is there left for you to accomplish? Oh, man, I, I, t- I tell you, you, you've referred to that several times, like I'm looking in the rearview mirror. You know, I, 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 I'm I not hope trying that's to not age you. I'm not yeah, trying no, to age you. you. You've, you've been you've been very very kind and generous with with the things you're saying. It, 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 but you know, I I have a lot left to learn. I I want to I want to, you know, the the day that I figure okay, I'm I'm too tired to learn something new and better. I I just I don't want to I don't want to be practicing anymore after that. You know, the I I want to I want to continuously you know learn and I'm learning from the the younger guys that are coming along and, and they're back, they're in the lab doing what I was doing, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And, um, and so I'm learning, I'm, I'm looking and I'm learning and, and, and hopefully I, I stay fresh. Um, and, and so that, that's what I have to look forward to is just is getting better at what I do. Well, Dr. Ultrush, I appreciate you being generous with your time, sharing your insights and 
allowing us to hear about your career and some of your professional interactions. It's really interesting to step outside what I normally do to hear a medical viewpoint of these sorts of things. And I really am thankful and grateful that you would allow us to listen in uh, to provide insight into your world. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. And and I do want to compliment you. You know, you, you've taken an interest in something that obviously is very, very dear and important to me. And, and, and you're, you're extremely good at it. You, you do your homework and, um, you do all the things that, that any great professional does and, and you, you know, your dedication and everything is, it's, it's fantastic. And that's why at, at such a young age, you've, you've gotten to be such an authority. So, um, I think there's a lot to learn by the way you go about what you do as well. And vice versa. And that's why I'm glad I was able to have you on. But I'm not that young, Dr. Altrush. I turn 54 next week. You look a lot younger, baby. You look, <laughs> lot, you look, you look a lot younger. <laughs> Thank you very much for the time. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get the chance to speak again soon. Thank you, Adam. Thank you very much. And there is Dr. Neil Elatrush. What an honor to get to speak to him. I've always heard his name. You hear it with all these surgeries and you never get to hear the voice behind the person. But there is the voice and there is the man that is responsible for many of the surgeries on some of the top star players. And so when you hear about a player on your favorite team or one of your favorite players going in for surgery, sounds like he's the man that you'd like to have that done. We've spoken to some doctors before. They're more important, as important as ever before. It's nice to put a voice with a name. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you again. Try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8-S-A-V-E. Jet's pizza, better because it has to be. And now to break down some of the big storylines for week 15 ahead, our next guest. And now we bring in the ESPN analytics guru, the superstar statistician, Trying to think of the other ways I can say this, but no, my that's colleague. That's, that's funny, Adam. I think you covered it. No, I don't know. My colleague, my friend, the great Evan Kaplan, to <laughs> look ahead to week 15. 15. We are wrapping up week 14 tonight as we tape this midday Monday. We've got the Browns-Ravens game that, by the time people listen to this, probably will have been played. And we'll begin to get ready for our game next Monday night. Who do we have next Monday night, Evan? I don't even know off the top of my head. We have the uh, the Steelers and the Bengals. So the Steelers off two straight losses. We'll see if they can get back on track. I have a feeling they will be able to get back on track. <laughs> I would agree with you. <laughs> All right, but we also have in week 15 a potential Super Bowl preview. We have the Kansas City Chiefs at the New Orleans Saints. Give me an idea of how often we've seen a matchup like this this late in the season. This is going to be a fun one. And, and like you said, it could be a Super Bowl preview. According to our football power index, which, as we know, projects out kind of how the playoffs are going to look, each division title, the Super Bowl, uh, the Chiefs have by far the highest chance to win the Super Bowl, 35%. The next closest is the Saints currently at 15%. 
So we could see these teams meeting down the road, Raymond James Stadium. And as you mentioned, we haven't really seen very often teams that meet in the regular season and then play again in the Super Bowl. It's only happened four times in the last 25 years. The last time it happened was Super Bowl 46 with the Giants and Patriots when they met in the regular season, played again in the Super Bowl. There's so many layers we can get to with this matchup. I think one personally that, that I like a lot is the connection back to the 2017 draft when the Chiefs traded up, took Patrick Mahomes 10th overall. The Saints had the next pick, took Marshawn Lattimore 11th overall. The Saints got a haul from that draft, just ton of, a, a ton of players who were really contributing from them, from Alvin Kamara to Trey Hendrickson, Ryan Ramchek, the offensive tackle, Marcus Williams. The Chiefs obviously got the prize possession from the draft in Mahomes, so that's a fun connection to this game. ton of angles from this one as we kind of see how everything plays out with the Saints quarterbacks later in the week. And that's going to be a big deal. And one of the other big deals that we have going right now, and it ties to Patrick Mahomes as well, is Patrick Mahomes in the race for the number one seed and in the race for the most valuable player. And right now, it certainly looks like the MVP race boils down to either Patrick Mahomes, who will be playing the New Orleans Saints this week, or Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And oddly enough, the Packers and Saints are in the race for the number one spot. Mahomes and Rodgers are in the race for the MVP. And so you have all these overlapping layers as the Chiefs head to New Orleans and the Packers get ready to play and try to lock up the number one seed, the MVP trophy. What do we think of the Green Bay Packers where they are right now? Yeah, as we enter week 15, those are the two teams in each conference in the top spot. So the Chiefs, as you mentioned, number one in the AFC as they move ahead of the Steelers. The the Packers are into the top spot in the NFC as they have the tiebreaker over the Saints we just mentioned at 10-3. and three. Packers have that tiebreaker because they won uh, against down in New Orleans earlier this season. And Aaron Rodgers is, is just playing out of his mind. It, 39 touchdown passes, four interceptions this season with one more touchdown. He'll become the first quarterback in NFL history to throw 40 touchdowns in three different seasons. Hmm. I think this team looks very similar to what we saw last year, a Packers team that finished 13 and three. I think the difference is Rodgers is playing at an immense level, much higher level than last year. When you look at all the numbers leads the NFL in total QBR. Uh, and I think, I think Rodgers has actually moved ahead of Mahomes a little bit in that MVP race. And one other thing, when we talk about, how important we've we've talked for months, Adam, about how important that number one seed and all important buy is just because they're the only team that gets a buy. And they obviously they play all their games at home. Packers are 13 and two at home over the last two seasons, including the playoffs since Matt LaFour became the head coach. Fans or not, nobody wants to go to Lambeau in January. That's interesting, right? Because no fans Playoffs this year, I think, are a very level playing field. But you wonder if that stadium in those conditions would be an advantage. I'll say this. It would mean something for the Saints to have to play outdoors in Lambeau. Totally agree. Right? So, I mean, no fans, yes, uh, does level the playing field. And I spoke to one person this week and a head coach. We were talking about that exact scenario about how much home field advantage would mean, and, and we both agree that it wouldn't mean very much this year in the playoffs, but you're right. I think going to Lambeau would mean something. And by the way, you brought up Matt LaFleur. Nobody's talking about him as a potential coach of the year no. candidate, and we could put him right in that mix too, because two straight years, the guys racked up wins. And yes, 
He has Aaron Rodgers on his side, but he's also done a great job at managing that relationship yeah, at a time did. of strife, right? Like people thought that Aaron Rodgers wanted the blood of the organization, and right now he's performing at an MVP level. And I think Matt LaFleur deserves some of that credit. I, I agree, and and it goes back to what everybody talked about for months with the first-round pick and Jordan Love and, and the fact that the, the Packers haven't gotten a lot out of their, their 2020 draft class at all in terms of performance on the field this season. So, as I mentioned, almost the same team as last year, and, and what LaFleur's done is he's taken that same personnel, and they, they feel better than they were at this point last year. It'll all come down to what they do in the postseason. I agree with you. He's 24-7 and seven as a head coach, including the playoffs. That speaks for itself. You, you come in your first two seasons, you've got 24 wins already with, yeah. with still three weeks left in the regular season. That That's really impressive. Very quietly, Matt LaFleur has done a tremendous job. All right, we also have a potential playoff preview this weekend, and who would have thought that? But the Seahawks-Washington football team currently mm-hmm. would meet in the wild card round – and they're going to meet this weekend. And by the way, Washington, it's been very impressive. Very, I know it's just one game yesterday, or I know it's one game Sunday beating San Francisco, but that defense is scary, Evan. Oh, absolutely. They won four in a row, and, and they – this is wait, wait, Washington's won four in a row? Yeah. yeah well, I know, they beat, I know they beat Dallas, right? Yeah. So they, they beat Pittsburgh. They beat – San Francisco, who was the fourth game? Wow, that's so, impressive. Yeah. Yep, they've won four in a row. So, as, as you mentioned, so San Francisco, two weeks ago, Pittsburgh. They beat Dallas on Thanksgiving. And uh, before that, so it was after they after they lost to the Giants – after they lost to Detroit, actually, excuse me. So, tough road game in Detroit. They beat Cincinnati at home when, unfortunately, Joe Burrow got hurt. Mm. And then that was the start of their four-game winning streak. And the thing that I like about Washington, and you mentioned their defense – is I always like stories because I love the draft. We all love the draft. The draft is one of my favorite kind of times of the year. And I always like when teams make an investment in the draft and it pays off. And that's what Washington's done. They were the first team in the common draft era since 1967 to pick a defensive lineman in the first round in four straight years. Mm. And those defensive linemen are the reason that defense is so good, led by Chase Young, who will likely win the defensive rookie of the year. It's a Montez Sweat in 2019. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne from Alabama the two years before that. All four starting on that defense. That defense, like you said, is the reason that they are on the top of the NFC East. And I just like that connection that they were they, – they went hard. Uh, they knew what they wanted in terms of defensive linemen in the first round. Now all four of those guys are, are the reason that, that they have a really strong defense or, and, you know, will face a tough Seahawks team at home. And, and like you mentioned, could be a playoff preview. Uh, I think that, that, you know, Washington in the driver's seat for that NFC East, which we've kind of talked about as being, you know, uh, such a poor division all year. But I think what people forgotten, we may have mentioned this two year, two weeks ago, whatever team wins that division will be playing well because it's been so, com- it's, it's so competitive. Every team is, has the same kind of uh, poor record. So whatever team ends up winning that division will likely go into the playoffs with some momentum. I wonder if Washington – He's going to draw comparisons, that defensive line, to some of the great defensive lines. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, mm-hmm. but Chase Young looks like he's playing at a different level. I, I, I want to talk to more people about how good those other guys are, Montez yeah. Sweat. And Jonathan Allen, I know, is a really good player, and Deron yeah. Payne. I, I, I have not spent as much time on them because when it's come to Washington, we've been focused on 
the team name and Ron mm-hmm. Rivera's cancer and Alex Smith's comeback. And so yeah. the defensive line just kind of faded into the background, but here it comes when football issues and topics come to the surface in December with playoff chases, that defensive line has risen to the challenge. It has been a differentiator and I think it will continue to be such moving forward. All right, Evan, we appreciate the time and the insights this week. Thank you very much for your time. We will see you as we tape this Monday midday in studio for tonight's game and for next Monday night's Steelers Bengals clash. Sounds good, Adam. And there is the great Evan Kaplan. And now on to a topic that is incredibly personal and important to me. You wouldn't think it, but it is. NBA fantasy basketball. This has spawned my love in the NBA. This is the reason that I've grown to love covering a couple of games ordinarily a year, NBA games, for ESPN, doing sideline reporting, become a tremendous thrill and a great honor. And what got me into it was NBA fantasy basketball. I love it as much as any hobby I have. It is my escape, my vice, as I mentioned, and people are now conducting their NBA fantasy drafts. And if you play fantasy basketball, you understand. And if you understand, you want to hear our next guest and you want to hear his insights on what's ahead and which players to draft and which players to avoid. And so we decided to reach out to the senior NBA analyst for Establish the Run NBA site, Mike Gallagher, for his wisdom and tips on how to do your NBA fantasy draft, who to take and who to avoid. And without further ado, the man himself, the senior NBA analyst for Establish the Run, Mike Gallagher. Mike. How you doing? First time we've ever spoken, I believe, correct? Yes. I've heard you speak many, many times, but excited to actually talk to you. Well, it is my honor to have you on, and we have corresponded via Twitter, um, but never actually spoken. So this is a first, and I'm very excited to have you on. And this is, yeah. this is, this is as I said to my great producer, Christina, there is nothing, nothing that I enjoy more than my NBA fantasy draft. Like Thursday night this I know, week. I you love it. It's so, it's so awesome. I, I, it, is, it is the highlight of my week. And as I said to Christina, during that 90-minute period, those two hours, pretend as if I'm not alive, pretend as if I left the country, pretend as if my cell phone batteries have died. Like I am unreachable. <laughs> and so for those who don't know, Mike is the senior NBA analyst for the great website, Establish the Run, NBA version. Of course, Adam Levitin and Evan Silva do the NFL version of it. They do a tremendous job. Mike does the NBA version for Establish the Run. And for those who haven't visited, I would highly recommend it. If you are a fantasy football or fantasy basketball player, Mike is in charge of the NBA content. And so I have periodically gone to Mike for some recommendations. And with the my draft on Thursday night and with people participating in NBA fantasy basketball, participating in their drafts over the next week or so. So it'll be a good idea to bring on Mike and give us an overview of this year's players draft process, some thoughts, some recommendations. So if you like fantasy basketball, we got the right guy for you. Mike, give me a broad overview of how we would assess this year's fantasy draft prospects. So obviously the big issue here is coronavirus and the shortened schedule and back-to-backs and 
veterans possibly resting. So these are all things we have to kind of factor in, which we kind of knew about veteran rest. That's really been a thing since Popovich and resting Kawhi and so on. So you have to really, I think one of the big things this year is making sure your depth is good across the board. So you really, if you're late in your draft, you really need to draft for need. Uh, that's probably one thing I have going into the season. And just overall, really just the bottom line with fantasy, it's, it's a matter of talent plus opportunity is your fantasy value. So a good example for football was Justin Jefferson, right? Yep. Hey, Stephon Diggs is gone. Justin Jefferson has the opportunity. We found out he has the talent. Uh, he's been an awesome pick. So really, as you go throughout your draft, that's the kind of question you want to ask yourself, especially later in the draft when you're looking for guys who are high upside guys who could really make your team from good to great, uh, especially if you do really well early on. Excellent analogy. So let's get right to it. Give me the NBA Justin Jefferson's for this year. Okay, so uh, one guy who... I was hoping he would sneak a little under the radar even after a good postseason, and he looked really good over the weekend. That's OG Ananobi. Yeah. So, again, the Raptors, year after year, we keep seeing these guys get bigger roles and thrive with them. Pascal two years ago. Fred Van Vliet took a really step, big step forward. And this team is really thin. Nick Nurse runs a really, really tight rotation with not much depth. And OG's already putting the ball on the floor in the preseason and just so much buzz around him. He's probably my guy that's not getting a ton of buzz, whereas guys like Michael Porter Jr., he's probably maybe the best example of a Justin Jefferson because Jeremy Grant's gone. Um, and they, they even lost Tory Craig, who was kind of substituted here and there. So Michael Porter Jr. is kind of the most likely to have a monster breakout because he's so, so talented. And he's stepping into an offense that Mike Malone had said he wants to score 130 points now. And we know Malone is a big defensive guy. So He's a really, really good guy um, that's going to be very, very highly coveted. I could, you can't even call him a sleeper. And, yeah, a couple other guys in new situations for Josh Richardson and DeLon Wright. Uh, I think that them kind of moving into roles that suit their skills better look like a good uh, good way for them to thrive. Uh, we saw DeLon Wright looks to have the shooting guard position locked down. He was really good when he wasn't on the floor with Luka and Jalen Brunson, his other point guards. And yeah, do you want to keep going? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Of course about. I want you to keep going. I'm yeah. taking notes right now. I got yeah. my ESPN okay. draft board up. I'm adjusting. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This is true, Mike. About two weeks ago when I found out that I had the number one pick in a 14-team league, and that gave me picks 1, 28, 29, uh, what, 47, 57, 58. I mean, I'm going through here. I think it's 87, 88. I mean, all I do now is think about who am I taking in my various slots. That that's that's what. So do I want you to keep going? Yes, I want you to keep going. <laughs> yeah, we were talking. We could talk about the uh, your first turn. Uh, so I mean, that's going to be a tough spot for you because I mean, there's a lot of guys who may slide or may not slide. And it's, yeah, I know. for me, I when I pick early in drafts, I really because I am late in my drafts, I'm swinging for the fences pretty much constantly. Okay. I'm not taking guys who are going to be known quantities. I want late in my draft. I want all upside. So earlier in my draft, I'm going to take the guys I feel more comfortable about being out there for 65 games in the shortened season. And, you know, production I could count on, guys who are really reliable, like I'd say a Damian Lower or even Jokic now, who are, you know, pretty reliable and staying on the court. So, you know, even at that first turn, we were talking guys who were probably the best example of a safe play at that first turn for you would be Nikola Vucevic. Yep. But, I mean, there's a lot of other guys, especially if you're a guard, you're going to probably want to get a big because you're going to wait so, so long. By the time you pick again, you're going to be really, really thin. 
So, yeah, you're looking at probably him, DeAndre Ayton, Pascal Siakam is a guy who I think could really take a step forward, despite how he was literally the worst player in pull-ups uh, in the postseason. We saw, you know, the Celtics didn't have Gordon Hayward and everything, but Pascal Siakam playing poorly really did them in. But he, he, I, could, I could see him stepping forward here big time. Uh, so those are probably uh, bigs you're going to look at. I don't think Bam Adebayo is going to make it to you. Cat, Cat's kind of out of the bag on him. But if he somehow does make it to you in the mid-20s, uh, that, that's an easy pick for me. Yep. Yep. I, I agree with that. You said swinging for the fences, right? Give yep. me some swing for the fences, guys, later. You mentioned OG and Noonbay, Josh Richardson, DeLon Wright. I think all those guys are mid-round guys. OG a little higher than the other two. Swinging for the fences, late in the draft, who we got? I think we haven't really talked bigs too much yet, and I think a guy right at the top of the list, he's having kind of a quiet preseason, which is good. We want kind of, for me, I want my targets to be suppressed a little bit. You don't want them going off. Like, Taylor Horton Tucker is no longer a deep yeah. But uh, uh, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, he finally hit his first three-pointer. He was 0 of 8. He literally said finally after he hit it. Um, big changes to the bull system. New coach. No, not so much heavy hedging on pick and rolls, which is great for a big man. You want him dropped back. You want him in position to block shots. You're blocking more shots around, you know, five feet away from the basket. So Wendell Carter Jr., I think a guy who's going to get the ball in the high post. We saw what Billy Donovan did for Steven Adams for his assist rate. And he's going to shoot more threes. These are all great things for a big man. Uh, great shot selection from Wendell Carter Jr. So he's another guy uh, I have circled, especially if I, I don't get late. Um, other guys, I think Cam Reddish is probably going to go pretty late because we saw Atlanta really go over the top with filling their perimeter and wing depth with Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and everything like that. But Cam Reddish, we saw him really turn the corner. One of my favorite stats I've ever looked up is his first 14 games, he was horrible. And his last 14 games, he was pretty good. And his efficiency as a jump shooter was literally twice as good comparing his first 14 to his last 14. So a guy that was the number one prospect, Coming out, of, coming out of high school before he really struggled with a shot in Duke. So I really like him. And I think probably the Mr. Opportunity guy this year, yeah. like you try to think of who's, who's going to get more minutes. The guy at the top of the list, and he's kind of an unknown quantity, is Darius Baisley. Uh, okay, see, yeah. we saw Sam Presti unload his whole roster. And Baisley, we saw him really play three positions. Like, and that's, I love positional flexibility. So Darius Baisley is a guy who – was pretty productive in the preseason when he got some run. We saw him really shine in the bubble. We saw him play against the tough Houston defense. You know, Houston gets a bad rap because they were small, but they played pretty pretty good defense. So he put up really good numbers, can do everything. He's going to block a little bit. He's going to hit threes. The shots are going to be there around Shea. Who's, you know, Shea's going to be really, really popular, and yeah. people just rule everybody else. I think Darius Bates is going to be number two on this team in scoring, and, you know, he's young. You want, like I always say, you want – Young players on "quote unquote" bad teams, especially if they're going to rest other players and, in Presti's case, trade other players. Um, yeah. So I really like Darius Baisley as well as, as a guy I had probably my number two target after OG. What about Dort on Oklahoma City? Yeah, Dort could definitely be a guy that thrives. Uh, I can see his steals numbers coming up. The problem is he was a good scorer at Arizona State, but you know he's he has a lot of room to improve on offense, yeah. and he doesn't really. He, he's good on he's good on he could be good on steals. I don't think he's gonna be great at blocking or rebounding. And he won't give you assists, so he has to have a lot of things break right. Now, OG Ananobi had similar comparisons last year, where it's like, okay, OG can't shoot, and OG's shot growth has really expanded. So yeah, I mean, again, if you're sitting late and you don't want to pick a boring guy, and all these guys I named are gone, 
Uh, I, I definitely have door. I, I I have him in my deep sleepers column, but yeah, it, you could definitely take him late. Another rookie that kind of caught my eyes over the weekend is Isaac Okoro, uh, game winner. I think he had 12 to 16 Cleveland. points in the fourth quarter. Yep. Yeah, Cleveland. Yep, yep. He was a, a small forward, power forward, a kind of going into the season. And Kevin Love had kind of mentioned in practice saying, you know, we're using Okoro with the two because Colin Sexton's a little dinged up. So you want to you want to take young guys who have multiple positions that can get to value, where especially on a bad team, right? Because hey, you know, if one of three players are getting hurt and he has an avenue that way versus just a straight backup, that's more possibility. So I, I was really blown away by how good Isaac Okoro's offense was. So really? he was a guy that I had just yeah, I, I thought he could really put the ball on the floor. He got around guys really well. So he was a guy I had just on the outside of like a last round flyer. I bumped him up uh, in my rankings to 117. Uh, again, I think Cleveland's going to be looking to trade love. It may take a little bit, but Okoro is a guy that just suddenly uh, kind of, I, again, Taylor Horton Tucker's getting all the headlines here. Yeah. But uh, I would actually take Okoro uh, ahead of Taylor Horton Tucker if you're looking to just draft off pure preseason buzz. So he would be a swing for the fences guy, Isaac Okoro. Absolutely, yeah. yeah good, bad, bad team, young player, hits the, hits the mold. And again, I love position, position flexibility. That's Check, check, check. Uh, you know who I swung for the fences for in the draft last year? My last pick was Tyler Hero last year. Yeah. I'm, I remember he lit it up in the preseason. He had a big game, like 50 fantasy points in one game. And I thought to myself, well, if you're doing that in the preseason, you, you got to be able to play. And and that's exactly what that was. The, the, the Horton Tucker guy in L.A., he's been in every lineup I've played so far from the opening night, and he has rewarded me as such. It, can he have a role on the Lakers this year? Is that, is that sustainable? That's the question. So if you look at coming into the preseason, I had him at about eight or nine minutes. So in the rotation, but very, very not going to get enough minutes to matter. So the, the next question you ask is, who can you take minutes from? And you've got some answers there. You start with Wes Matthews. Uh, I love Wes Matthews. He, he's, he was shooting the arrows yeah. before Jamal Murray was. He made it very popular. Um, but... Yeah, I think he could take some minutes from him. He could ball again, multiple position flexibility, right? Yeah. He can handle the ball. He has a seven one wingspan, so he can guard threes. Uh he has a a lot of we, we don't have much of a sample. He only played two games before the bubble when guys were resting. But the steel numbers could be there. And if you're playing in a category league and you know, even if you're playing like I guess Matisse Thibel is a bit of an example, because he had some stretches where he was valuable because he was so productive in steals. Mikel Bridges is a good example, who I also love, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's going to be tough for him to be – he's going to get drafted now because it's the Lakers. So I probably wouldn't take him yet, but I definitely could see him, you know, if you're if you're playing in a weekly league and you could sit on him. And also to add to that, too, the Lakers, I think, only have five back-to-backs in the first half of the season. And kind of quick tangent, the, the NBA kind of designed their schedule where the bad teams, the Pistons, the Hornets are playing more back-to-backs then the teams that went deeper into the bubble, Lakers, Rockets only have five games back to back. That's something to think about too. So you could kind of maybe discount that factor as opposed to previous years. Yeah. But yeah, Horton Tucker is definitely, um, I mean, you can't deny how great he's been. Unbelievable in the preseason. So here's some random guys that I'm just going to ask you about. Is Marvin Bagley healthy? Yeah. It looks like it. Uh, he did miss a game yesterday, but it was preseason. So yeah. He, he says he's healthy. He says he's in a good place. He has Always a chip on his hurt. shoulder, he said. Always gets hurt. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And, man, it, it, he's going to have to live with his draft position for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like we almost have to blame the Kings uh, for putting him in that position. 
But yeah, I mean, he's again, he's going to slide in drafts. Uh, like him and Laurie marketing are kind of similar to me, yep. where you could see, you know, just devastated by injuries was not, they were not playing well. So yeah, I could definitely see myself taking bad. He slides from from this from the drafts I've seen early, but he looks to be healthy. Yeah, both both guys have been on my rosters before. What about the two guys in Charlotte, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington? You prefer one over the other? I definitely prefer PJ Washington. Uh, yeah. He was on hashtag Muscle Watch. Yep. Um, he looks a lot bigger in the chest. And we saw in the first preseason game there's been a lot of talk of him playing at the five, and that came to fruition in the second quarter too. Of um, you know, it was kind of a you could see it was kind of a planned substitution to bring him in there, and they really don't have a lot of depth. Cody Zeller's not going to play big minutes. Bismuth Miyambo is kind of eh. Um, so I think they really want to play PJ Washington at the five, and he did. I think it was a 115 minute sample last year yeah. over the course of the season. So he has it in him. You know, another year of growth. He's still real young. Mentioned the weight. He can shoot the three. Uh, I think he his blocks were a little disappointing, but he had a couple of real nice blocks in the preseason. So yeah, he's another guy. I I I'm really high on him. He's right. He's probably I think number seven or eight or nine in, in guys I want to draft in the second half. You, you can't get them all, but um, yeah. I would definitely be happy if I get PJ Tucker around a hundred ish. And a few guys. Um, how would you differentiate? Who who would you rank highest? I'll give you a few names: Seth Curry, Kobe White, uh, Derek White. Yeah, good good names. Uh, Derek White's a little dinged up, so we don't have the exact date on his toe surgery, but you would assume it was closer to when the bubble ended because there's that looks like when it's about to be. So we don't know the extent of a toe surgery or where it was exactly. The Spurs have been pretty quiet on that front. But Derek White, I mean, my God, he was one of the best players in the bubble. He was scoring. Um, we don't have much of a sample here, but when DeMar DeRozan was at the four, which is going to be in the cards this year, he was scoring 20 points for 36, good assist numbers, good efficiency. He's a good shot blocker for a guard too. So you know, sneaking in that point eight blocks from your guards could really go a long way to really smashing on a pick. So I would put him at the top of the list. Uh, I think Kobe White a little bit disappointing so far in the preseason, but they are giving this guy the keys to the offense. Uh, he's, wow. he's running more pick and rolls. He had a couple of really nice pocket passes. Not a lot of defensive stats, and he's going to probably hurt you pretty bad in field yeah. goals. But yeah, I'd probably slot him number two. Although. I I really really like Seth Curry, and I, when I asked you to cut me off because uh, I didn't want to keep going, he was the next time I was. Talk about Taylor made opportunity, right? Yeah. Uh, catch and shoot. What 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 do Ben what do Ben and Joel need, right? More spacing. Yeah. You literally are getting the best shooter in the NBA last year. He shot eighty percent on catch and shoot threes in the twenty twenty part of the year. That's I'm sorry, that's eighty percent effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot threes. So it's just insane efficiency, right? Like that's more efficient than the broads are in. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I really, really, really like him. If you do miss on three, I would take Seth over Duncan Robinson, who's another fantastic three-point shooter. But I think Seth's assists are going to be there. And, yeah, I think his minutes are going to be really high. I'm, I'm really high on him. Give me a few players in each range that you wouldn't draft, like a like an avoid list, stay away list, right? Like, I'll give you an example. I have the number one pick. I, I'm planning on taking Luca. Do you have any issues with that in a nine-category head-to-head league? Or would you take Giannis over Luca, or would you not do that? You're gonna hate me, Adam. Good. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would not take Luca with number one. I, I could. Uh, I could poke some holes in him. I, do you? Do you want to hear me poke some holes? Yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he's gonna be. He's gonna be great. I mean, no, de- no denying. He's gonna lead the league in triple doubles. He's gonna score a lot. But the problem is. If you play, you play in a nine cat league with ninth category is assisted turnovers for the un, uninitiated. Well, it's not not assisted turnovers. The last category they changed this year to just turnovers. Oh, boo! 
Yeah, I don't I like that, that either. You're, I don't like you motivated me to change my yeah, you motivated me to change my uh my my leads to that. I love that category. So when I'm looking on, by the way, when I'm looking on establish the run and and your top 150, I'm looking at nine categories, right? It does that does that not does my league not exist in that category? Like the the just Oh the no, tr- yeah. I kind of tweaked it to where it's more gift shifted to like eight because yeah. I draft really heavy point cards. Yeah. So you can kind of use it for all of them. Okay. But yeah, you're gonna hate that I have Lucas so low. Uh, you have let, him like me, number let twelve. Me... You have like number twelve. I think. no, I have him at number. I have him at number six. Okay. Uh, six, six or seven. So the reason why is I start with I didn't really like how he performed after his December twelfth, his first ankle sprain of the season. He was actually only seventieth and nine cat and thirty ninth and eight cat, which is it was just surprising for as productive as he was. It's because he somehow fell apart as a shooter from the foul line. Um, which could be corrected. He shot 80% in the Clippers series on, you know, decent volume. I think it was like 60 shots. He went to the line like every possession. So that's number one. I mentioned Seth Curry. Uh, he actually had significantly worse efficiency with Seth Curry off the floor. 3.2 true shooting percentage points. Little noisy because Curry's minutes were going up as Luka was a bit was struggling a bit. So that's another thing that kind of gives me a little bit, little bit of pause. And yeah, I just, I didn't really like how it took him kind of so long to kind of get back in the swing of things from his ankle injury. Whereas Trey Young, on the other hand, he had, if you remember, he was supposed to miss two to three weeks on that first ankle sprain he had in the season. He missed one game. Yeah, I, I, yeah. He was on my team. Yeah. On my, I remember it very well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, ah, I'm like, oh, when we do that, Trey Young, oh, only one game he's out there. And he scored two 40-point games within five games of that injury. So that's another thing. Um, the, the foul, the foul shooting was getting better, um, especially early in the season. He was shooting the ball upper seventy, so he's helping you there. But yeah, I just I mentioned the second half. I mean, you're passing up Harden, AD, Dane, Jokic. Those guys were both top five of this. Well, let, 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 let me let me explain to you why. Let me explain to you why. Number one, Harden. <laughs> I don't know what offensive system he's going to be in. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I he is. Yep. Off the charts better, and there's a researcher at ESPN, uh, Hembo for Get Up. But um, Hembo is like Harden was 15 to 20 percent better than any player last year. 15 to 20 percent better. Yep. So it's like you have to take Harden. But again, I don't know whether Harden's playing in Philadelphia, Brooklyn. Doesn't sound like Houston. So I I, I don't know where he is and where he's fitting. He's incredible. I I mean, if I knew he was in. Houston, yeah, I, I got, I got no problem with that, but I don't know that. Okay, Anthony Davis, I, I mean, the guy is unbelievable. But how many times do we? Anthony Davis is on the way to the locker room, shoulder, foot, <laughs> I'm elbow, all the time, right? Am I wrong or right about that? Yep, okay? you're absolutely right. That that is, yeah, those, those are the easiest ways to pull holes. And two guys, I have one and two. Um, I will add on Harden though. The thing, the thing that's so great about James Harden. He's not just a scorer. He rebounds pretty well. He's awesome in free throw percentage. His steals numbers are always at the top of the league. You know, his assist numbers are going to be really good. He just does so many things so, he does. so well. He and does. And, yep. He does, but where is he and, playing? Him and, AD have been, him, and, him and AD have been one and two per game over the last four, or, you know, top three or four. Over the, AD's been one or two in each of the last four seasons and eight and nine cap. So, yeah, it's just – I just feel more comfortable about him. Um, and again, getting a big man who can do a little bit of everything. So the only other guy that I would consider at one, the only other, and like I said, it's not because I don't think Harden and 
Anthony Davis, they're, they're unbelievable, but I don't know Harden where he's playing and I don't know when AD is playing. Okay. So the only yeah. other guy I would consider would be Giannis. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's, well, he had major free throw issues last year as well, which yeah. really dragged him down in category leagues. Yeah. And, you know, he's not going to make threes. He's going to give you defensive stats. He's, he's okay. I, I have him pretty far down because the Bucks are going to be good again. Uh, yeah. And we know he's going to rest. And we saw Giannis kind of take a little bit longer, um, you know, to miss games. And his minutes are going to be so, so low, which is fine. I mean, he's still just incredible per minute. It doesn't really matter. So I wouldn't take him. Okay. Well, uh, they're, 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 again, I'm going yeah. Luca. Like, I'm going, Luca is there the guy go. Yeah. That I watch and it's the eye test. And I just say, this guy's unbelievable. Now, I'm going to hope and bank on the fact that he's so young that in his third year, hopefully he takes even another step forward. But he was he, off the charts to me. Off the charts. He, he definitely can. He was driving 30 times per game uh, in the bubble, which is absurd. Uh, league leader is about 20. Uh, his touch time was 10 minutes a game. That was a full minute higher than what Trey Young was doing. So yeah. if you're talking about impacting the game, He's right at the top of the list. So, yeah, I mean, if he could somehow maybe sneak in more steals, and the key is free throw. If he can make his free throws and he stays on the court, you're, you're good. Uh, you could definitely I, – I, it's a really tough conversation to talk, talk out of Luka number one for sure. Well, and also say, all the question marks, especially in the season. I'll also say this. I go back to last year. Maybe this is a pick that's the result of last year. Last year, I had the 11th pick, and Luka's ADP – I think it was like 18, 19, 20, 20. He, I mean, he, he was not high at all. And I was taking Luca. I yeah. never saw him go in the first round of any draft. And then right before me, Stefania Bell took him. And I was wow. like, oh my God, I could not believe I got sniped. And so I had Luca envy all year long. And, I, and, and, <laughs> and by the way, I would have been right. And so I've, I've wanted Luca yeah. since last year. And so part of this pick is that probably. I'm just telling yeah, you. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Like I said, it's, it's really hard to pass up on him. And actually, um, to stick with the fun part, which I kind of skipped over, uh, over the guys I'm not taking, I'm not taking Zion. Uh, just to mm. kind of throw that out, yeah. Uh, another gets so, so fun, but the lack of defensive stats kills me. And just generally to stick with this, since I kind of avoided on you, sorry. Um, you know, just older guys. Uh, in general, I'm trying to shy away from I'm not drafting LeBron, which is kind of crazy. Um, we've seen his field goal percentage kind of dip down a little bit. Um, so I'd rather take, you know, someone like Jason Tatum in that range, who I really like. Um, yeah, it, there's there's a lot of ways to go. And generally, I'm, I'm going to go to the younger guy uh, as long as he doesn't slide, which he might. Well, it's funny. Two years ago, I had LeBron. He was my first round pick. And 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 he was he was he was not great. And I'm like, I will not take him again. Another year older. And last year I passed up the chance to take him at 11 and 14. And last year he was off the charts, off the charts. Like a league winner last year. Yeah, ten, the ten assists led the, led the NBA. Um, you know, he wasn't the, the the percentage just kind of brought him down a little bit, so he actually wasn't as great. But the counting stats from LeBron, I mean, him and AD are just AD especially. Like he he's just so so good with whoever's out there with him. So Zion, LeBron's on your stay away list. Anybody else? Like, just give me a few other guys there that you wouldn't take. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's there's no way I'm going to drafting. I will knock out this guy, but. Uh, I have a column called Shy Away 30, and the number one guy on that list is Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah, it's just he's missed 28 games per season over his last five seasons, just misses so many games. I'm actually not really worried about how Kevin Durant's going to impact him. I think he's still going to be fine per game. 
But it's just a missed game. Same thing with Kawhi. Um, same thing with Blake. Same thing with Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, I would have liked to have really drafted Jaron Jackson Jr., but he may miss some time. So, yeah, just really just games played are, are my biggest issues. But really Zion, uh, uh, most of my list is older guys. Um, but Zion definitely, who, uh, it, it's like, he's like almost like you and Luca. Like, it's going to be unfortunate to see Zion go off, which is possible, very possible, right? Yeah, he will have some games. He'll be on none of my teams this year. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that again, certain guys, and that's how I feel crazily enough about a guy like, I mean, it's not going to James Harden. Like, I love the guy. I love why. I just can't yeah. draft because I don't, to me, the first round pick should be a known commodity. And as known mm-hmm. as he is, he's a little bit unknown this year to me. Now, a guy that played with him last yeah, year. Oh, you're right. Yep. A, a guy that played with him last year, I'm just curious, has great nine category numbers, Robert Covington. How does he fit into – I love does, Robert Covington. Yeah, how does he fit into – does yeah. he still maintain that value or does it drop? Well, I picked him because if you saw him in Houston, one thing that really got him to spike was blocks. And if you look at where he was getting his blocks, it was protecting the rim. You know, those guys, weak side help, getting guards driving, guys in post-up help, you know, whatever it is. He's not going to do that nearly as much. So you really can't expect him to produce at the level he was producing last year. but. I think his offense could be similar. Uh, he doesn't shoot the ball great. I think his steals numbers are going to pop. Uh, I think he could be – he's always, always leading the league in deflections. And his ratio of deflections to steals was actually unlucky for him. So I think he has a better shot there to be closer to even two. Um, he's going to play a ton of minutes. Portland's good. And that's the other thing that's really important about NBA is standings really, really matter. Where NFL, it matters a little bit. But if your team's not playing for anything – in the last two or three weeks of the season, and it's fantasy playoff time. I mean, you're really setting yourself up poorly. Yeah. So that's a good sign for Luca. That's a good sign for Dame. You know, you would imagine wherever Harden goes, assume, and he's not going to sit out the season, right? Yep. You would think. So wherever he goes should be good. You know, LeBron's a little bit older, so the Lakers may, you know, the Lakers had such a great offseason that you're worried that they get a little bit of a cushion and sit him out. So you can kind of make a case that's a bit of a negative. So yeah, there's a whole lot going on and uh, how you could. Um, evaluate talent, but yeah, I'm just to get back to Covington. Yeah, if he somehow slides, um, and he's going later than I thought. Um, I thought OG would go like three or four rounds later than him. Yeah. Turns out it's only like one or two. What's Covington's ADP? What's a, a OG's ADP right now in your mind? Uh, well, I've went done a couple drafts, and just ADP that is a little noisy because there's a lot of auto picks, so I don't really put too much stock into that. Yeah. But I would say, you know, if you're in a good draft, you're gonna probably want to look at Covington round five or six and OG, I mean, if he has another good game, he's going to be like round six or seven when, you know, a month ago you could get him round eight, nine, 10, and even a competitive league. So yeah, um, you could definitely Covington, especially, and I'll add to one more thing. If you're drafting, I mentioned a lot of these wings, your Richardson, Mikel Bridges is a lot of Bridges is a lot of a wing depth later in your draft. Um, so, you know, prioritizing your point guards and your bays a little bit earlier uh, is something I would suggest. Obviously, you don't want to tick down like a Jason Tatum or somebody really, really good if they stand out. But, you know, if you're kind of picking, splitting hairs, you know, try to lean towards the guard um, and the big man. That's interesting. That 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 is interesting because that could be a differentiator early on. Like when I come back to 28 and 29, I would like – Ideally, to go that direction, a, P, uh, a point guard and a big or a double point guard or double big or whatever it would be, right? Yep. I mean, that, yeah, that, you could be looking at um, – I don't I don't think anybody will slide. You, you might be um, interested in Jamal Murray. 
uh, after his full-on alpha playoff mode. What, what, what uh, do we Moran think of him? Amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm in. Uh, I'm in. Yeah. Um, Drew Dinkfire and I. He's he's uh, another guy who does a lot of numbers yep. for us. We were we were talking about uh, Jamal Murray, and I was really sold on his growth as an unassisted guy and just shot creation. Uh, and I mentioned Denver's offense, so I'm really really high on Murray. And again, this guy he played through double hernias in his rookie season. Played every game, <laughs> so he's gonna sit out here and there. Denver's on a good team. You love that. So I'm pretty high on Murray. You'd be reaching a tad uh, at your turn there. But, I mean, yeah, if the point guard well dries up on you there and, and you really don't want to miss out, I mean, you can maybe wait. Uh, I didn't mention Malcolm Brogdon. I'm really high on Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you were high on him last year. You were high on him than I was last year. And, um, and, and I, really I loved him last year, had him. And he was gr- when he yeah. plays, he's incredibly efficient. He missed a lot of time last year with injury. That was the only thing. And I don't love that they're moving yeah. him. To the off guard this year, I don't. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I'll have to talk to my friends in the Pacers organization there. But I think you're gonna like what they have to hear. They shot 44 threes, and Malcolm Brogdon, who's a great three point shooter, right, 50, 40, 90. Yeah, does everything. Um, he's supposed to get more three pointers. So yeah, faster pace, uh, much more creative offensive system when Nate Jorgren, who's really really good. So yeah, I, I think I think if it's again that's the key. Stay on the court, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, we yeah. saw him again. I love drives. One of my favorite stats, you know, is he had high drives. This was out the bonus in the bubble. So I think there's a lot of growth for Malcolm Brogdon to really get up there in the even if he stays healthy. I mean, top ten is seriously in his range of outcomes. I think he has a huge season. Well, Mike, I really appreciate taking some time. Again, for those listening today, you could find Mike's work at Establish the Run. He is the senior NBA analyst for Establish the Run, a great website for fantasy sports football. Basketball does a great job. And Mike, it's a pleasure to finally speak with you over the phone. I am fired up beyond words for Thursday night. I will lean on some of your wisdom. And I wish you guys and Adam Levitin and Evan Silva at Established Run continued success. Thanks so much, Adam. Really appreciate it. And there is the senior NBA analyst for Established the Run, Mike Gallagher, a man that I have come to know a little bit here through our correspondence of NBA fantasy picks and a man who I will be leaning on for my draft Thursday night, 8.30 Eastern, please, no NFL news during that little window. Now, that's this week, last week, about that time, Friday morning, got a strange text, an unexpected text from a Michigan linebacker, Adam Shibley, who out of nowhere just texted me and just said, hey, Adam, I'm not sure if you know, but you made it in Jack Harlow's new song, Keep It Light. He's a relatively new artist, but is ex- but is becoming extremely popular. Their lyrics read, I play the game, you watch the game like Adam Schefter, thought I'd share. And so I didn't know what Adam Shibley was talking about. And then all of a sudden, one of my other friends texted me, he said, hey, you're in Jack Harlow's new song. Now, again, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about Jack Harlow, but my 20-year-old son and 12-year-old daughter, they knew about Jack Harlow. And so I sent Jack Harlow a little message on Instagram, reached out to him, DM, and I said, Jack, just want to thank you for the shout out. It was pretty cool for me, but way cooler for my kids. They're huge fans. Thank you for making me a little cooler with them. Continued success. That was what I sent him. Now, again, some people said that he was dissing me in the song. Like, I watch the game and he plays the game. He's a player. I'm not a player. I don't know. Maybe it was a diss, but the fact of the matter is, I don't think so. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but to be mentioned in a rap song, 
in and of itself is an honor, even if it is a diss. And number two, when I sent him that DM, he sent me back a message that reads, and I'm reading it from here, my man, you are a legend. Thanks for reaching out. Tell your kids I said, hey. Now, again, if he was taking a shot at me, would he have responded the way he did? I don't think so, but maybe. Maybe he was taken aback or caught off guard that I would respond. But again, that was kind of a career highlight because now we're at the point where things that happen in football, you just keep plugging along and doing your job every day. It's your job. And, and I love my job. I'm not equipped to do anything else. But to be in a rap song with Jack Harlow, something that your kids recognize, that to me, that's kind of fun. That is something that you get a kick out of. And so that was kind of neat. All right. Well, I want to thank our guests this week, the great Dr. Neil Elitrosh, who's become my friend. We talked about having dinner as soon as the pandemic ends and something I want to do with him and look forward to doing with him at the appropriate time. ESPN's analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, for breaking down week 15. The senior NBA analyst for Establish the Run, Mike Gallagher, for his insights on NBA fantasy drafts this year. Can't wait for mine. And of course, Thanks to my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this together. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We will have a surprise special guest for the end of the year podcast. I promise you it'll be worth it and you don't want to miss it. We're going to be recording it this week. We'll play it for you next week. Special guest. I know it's a tease, but it's going to be worth it. You'll see. So come back again here next week. And until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.